talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com, live in Atlanta. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. All three of us are here and in good shape covering this game coming up on Saturday. We're going to talk about the flip of the interviews that we did on Wednesday. It was Ohio State defense. That includes Jim Knowles. And Georgia offense, that includes offensive coordinator Todd Monken, quarterback Stetson Bennett. Get into a couple other things, eyeballs on practice. And actually, let's start there, Nathan. You guys went to the Ohio State open practice window, and you saw some people, and you didn't see some people. And Stephen and I, we talked about this on the last podcast, and now here was another day of like, huh, Nathan, where's that guy? Who didn't you see? So Mayan Williams is obviously a topic of conversation. Like you said, when you guys talked on Tuesday, um, that was one of the first people that we wanted to get eyes on, really the prominent person that needed to get eyes on that we knew had been injured, and he was not there. And not that he was there and not participating or only participating in some things. Like for the 15 minutes that we were there, the three practice periods that we saw, he was not there. So that obviously raises some eyebrows, uh, if not for the least – reason being that it's Wednesday and Tuesday, Wednesday are big practice days to, to not be at a Wednesday practice is significant to not be able to participate at all in a Wednesday practice is significant. Now, could he have showed up later in the practice? That's why they only show us three periods, but it's reasonable to assume based on what we were told Tuesday, what we saw today, that uh, if he was there in some capacity later, it wouldn't have been much. So it was the Dallin Hayden show, Stephen. That's the second part of this, that when Mayan Williams couldn't come to interviews, it was Chip Traynham who came. But when Mayan Williams wasn't at practice Wednesday, it was Dallin Hayden stepping up with the ones. Yeah, which is weird because, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday were basically offensive and defensive starters. So when you don't have Mayan and the guy they send instead of Mayan is Chip Traynham, you go, hmm, okay. If Mayan can't play, they probably go with Chip, especially since he's the guy they went with in the Michigan game. But Dallin was up first. Now, some of that might just be they're not trying to put a true freshman out there in these situations with the media. But, yeah, Dallin Hayden was up first. Chip training was up second. And then that ends the game of how many scholarship running backs were out practice today. Yeah, they're not going to give Dallin Hayden as a true freshman. They're not going to send him out to the media. So I would go more by but- who was up first in drills at Wednesday practice. But Mayan Williams is not there, so – those are the facts, Jack. We don't know what else to tell you. That's what we got right now. Mayan Williams wasn't in interviews Tuesday and wasn't seen at practice on Wednesday. Nathan, anything else of note? Was Paris Johnson playing guard, by the way? No? Was he playing <laughs> not not that we know. We didn't really see full offense, defense stuff. Okay. So we don't have a lot of intel on that. But, no, he wasn't. Uh, Matt Jones was playing tackle. or Sorry, Matt Jones was playing right guard. And uh, seem to be doing fine. Seem to be sorry. Seem to be doing fine. Um, Was participating in contact drills. Had his right foot, right ankle, very heavily taped. Obviously, he missed the Michigan game with whatever happened at the end of the Maryland game, sprained ankle. So uh, he looks set to play. I mean, he was in full full pads, full uniform, and participating. Um, So uh, because of what happened with Mayan Williams not being at interviews. Today, when they swapped in steel chambers for Ronnie Hickman, my antenna kind of went up like, oh, something going on there. But Ronnie Hickman was a full participant in practice, as far as we could tell, and and looked okay. Cam Brown uh, obviously left the Michigan game with a stinger, but we had talked to him last week. He looked okay. 
trying to run through the list of like potentially banged up guys. Um, yeah. That, I mean, that, the bottom line, there to, wasn't anybody else that mattered that wasn't there. Like if somebody wasn't there, you'd be like, Oh my not gosh, the, that guy wasn't there. Right. No, not the, not that anybody saw. Um, Cam Babb was not really participating. He, he did uh, the, the stretching and stuff, but was not in pads, not participating. So that would seem to be one more receiving depth guy that would not be available. But no, as far as like frontline guys, two deep guys, everybody but Williams was accounted for. Okay. Steven, you went to Georgia practice and you noted something that I thought was an interesting contrast. Kirby Smart gets on the mic, huh? Head coach yeah. is the DJ. Yeah, and he is loud and active and it was very interesting to watch. And this, when I texted that stuff out to the texters, I wasn't saying it in the sense of, hey, George is doing it the right way, Ohio State's doing it the wrong way, or vice versa. It was just an interesting to see a contrast in styles. Because what you have to think about is they're trying to fill 15 minutes before they can kick us out. That's part of this. So it's like, what's the thing they can do that shows us absolutely nothing before we have to get kicked out of there? Ryan Day in Ohio State has habitually used that to do special team stuff, whether it's in fall camp or today at practice. Um, Georgia used it to do a bunch of competitive stuff and yell at you and let people know when you lost and when you won. And then when it was time to kick us out, he was very adamant about getting us out of there. He said, hey, 15 minutes. It was nice having you. It's 15 minutes. Go on get like it was I he was very excited the whole practice, but he wasn't I had never seen a man more excited than he was when it was time to kick the media out of a practice. But very energetic. They almost it was almost as if they were trying to set a tone of, you know, aggression and, and competitiveness out the gate. Okay. Let's get into people we talked to. Just of note, and again, sometimes we'd like to take you inside a little bit. I spent a lot of my time, we're not going to start with him, but I spent a lot of my time during the Georgia period talking with Todd Munkin because he was the Cleveland Browns offensive coordinator in 2019, didn't go well, and then he came straight to Georgia. And he has really had an impact on Georgia's success. You think of this as a – it is a defense-first program. But he is to Georgia as Jim Knowles is to Ohio State. He's the head coach of the offense. And the thing that I just want to note is he has not – spoken to the media since preseason. And this happens in the Saban tree. So the the Georgia writers were insatiable. This is the offensive coordinator. He makes $2 million a year. He's in charge of the whole offense. I'm sure there are times when Georgia reporters ask Kirby Smart things about the offense during the year. And he's like, I don't know, ask Todd. And it's like, you won't let Todd talk. So that's how Saban works. Like Kirby didn't get to talk when he was a coordinator. Single message. I don't want any assistants saying nothing about nothing. Everything about this program comes out of my mouth. And then when you get to a bowl, like the bowls mandate it. And so that's why they don't get magnanimous. The bowls make coordinators talk. So it was a little bit more difficult to, can you, Nathan, if we did, it was like, oh, Jim Knowles is here. Here's our introductory news conference with Jim Knowles. He is here to save the defense, and you will talk to him for a second time at the bowl. That would stink, and it's just like the norm for how Nick Saban and his acolytes operate. I can't believe it. Oh, my gosh. Thank goodness Ohio State doesn't do that. Please don't plan. I'm not planning that. Ryan, Mike Bassford, Jerry Emig, if you're listening, you guys would never do that to us, right? You would never do that to us. Nathan, it's crazy to me. 
I'll be honest with you. When I took this job, I was a little bit concerned or I was considering this job as a little bit concerned because it's not uncommon at the hugest programs to have the most restrictive media policies. And part of that is they say to streamline things, whatever, but really it is what you're saying. It's because the coach wants to be in charge of the message. It's about, yeah, it's about control. Crazy. So, so we were excited to talk to Jim Knowles, which is where we'll start here, but not because we hadn't talked to Jim Knowles in four months. It was like we talked to Jim Knowles in Columbus a couple of weeks ago. So I did, th- I found it interesting, Nathan, and I know you wrote about Jim Knowles at Cleveland.com slash OSU soon after his news conference on Wednesday. And I think you focused on the thing that stuck out to me, which is he does not regret the zero blitz on third down that led to the broken tackle and Michigan's first touchdown that felt like it flipped the game that I asked Jim Knowles about that call in the post game news conference. I certainly have thought that it was too aggressive. It was unnecessary. I thought it opened the floodgates. I think if you go back in time, it doesn't mean Ohio state wins that game if you don't do that, but I did not think it was the right time to do that against JJ McCarthy. who was three of nine to that point and really had not been doing a lot of damage to Ohio State while he sat back there. And Jim Knowles, while admitting there were other calls, not specifically, but he says there are calls you wish you could have back, did not want that one back. What did you think of that, Nathan? Well, to be completely, I mean, to to take the, the thought through to the end, it wasn't that he didn't have regrets about that situation, but they were regrets that he hadn't, fully prepared Cam Brown for that eventuality, that possibility of that play. You know what I mean? That, that whenever, when you call that play, you know that one of the possible outcomes is the quarterback does get rid of the ball and the receiver does catch it. And now it's do or die. And a guy's on an Island. And does he make the catch? And he, just the way that Jim Knowles thinks about it, it it's more a, a reflection again on the way that he approaches being a college football coach than it is him playing any kind of a blame game because it's, it, he he likes to protect his players. And so his philosophy is, well, if that happens, it wasn't that I called the wrong play. It's that I go back to the install, go back to the spring even. Uh, I didn't start building Cam Brown up to make that play the right way. It's, it's, it's shifting the blame on himself into a, a different sphere. I, I think it's because he doesn't know any other way to coach except then to be aggressive and you can argue pretty strongly that the aggressive approach worked very well for Ohio State for the most part through 11 games. And if you're going to do that, then it's also your responsibility to to coach your team up to the contingencies and to coach them, uh, give them the fundamentals and the techniques that will uh, protect the back end of those plays when when they don't unfold in the, the most optimum way. So I understand what he was saying, and I think philosophically it's one of those things where you you do have to live with the consequences and just try to fix it the next time. I, I don't know that the answer is to be less aggressive, and he certainly doesn't sound like a guy who plans to be less aggressive on Saturday. Yeah, I think like a lot of that, That's it's all like mumbo-jumbo, like, oh, a guy misses a tackle, but it's my fault. I get it, whatever. But like he could have said, you know what, that was not the right time to blitz there. He could have said that was too much. That was too aggressive because he didn't just blitz. He brought he brought two linebackers and two safeties. Like he, it wasn't a, it was a super aggressive blitz. It wasn't just a blitz. He could have said that. He could think that because then Rob Aller from the dispatch followed up and kind of asked a question that was like, 
hey, are there times when it's like, you know, Mo, you, you, you have all these things you can do, but maybe it's just like, keep it simple, keep it easy. And he was like, yeah, no, there's times that you should do that. But he did not think that then. I, I, I'm not, I guess I'm not surprised, but he easily could have said, you know what, you're, when I look back on it, we were playing well. The quarterback was three of nine. It was a tie game. It was a, they had not scored yet. And I didn't need to be that aggressive in that moment. And so I appreciate his honesty of if he doesn't think it, don't say it, but you also could actually think it. And so it, I thought it was a window into him. And Todd Monken wound up talking a lot about this stuff too. And that if you're aggressive, you got to live with the consequences, right? Which is kind of what you're saying that like you, it's not that he was being aggressive. It's that he is aggressive. Right. And so an aggressive person acts aggressively. And then you live with the consequences. I just thought in a moment, an aggressive person could have acted slightly less aggressively in certain moments. So he stuck to his guns, which I think is good. But Stephen, what do we, if you are an Ohio State fan, do you want full throttle pedal to the metal? Let's go aggressive Jim Knowles. This is how I got here. This is what we do. This is what we've been teaching. This is how we've been planning from the jump. I want I want the full Jim Knowles. Or do you maybe want a little less of the Jim Knowles effect? And it's like it doesn't change who you are, but you pull back a little bit. Right? I don't know. What what does an Ohio State fan want out of Jim Knowles for this game? I think you want Jim Knowles to be the exact thing that got him here in the first place. And which you guys have alluded to, that means living with when it doesn't work at times. I understand in the moment right now, it's a big deal because it does feel like it flipped a game against your rival and, you know, all that extra stuff that we've talked about over and over again. But we've also seen plenty of other times, if you probably go back and dock it, where it was third and seven and longer and you probably didn't need to blitz, but he blitzed anyway and he got there. With, with, with a safety or with a linebacker. I mean, this is a dude, the, the two that stand out because they didn't work are that one against Michigan and then the first play of the game against Notre Dame when he sent Denzel Burke on a blitz and then he ends up giving up a 50-plus yard play because of it. But there's probably a bunch of times sandwiched in between those two opportunities where it did work. So it's very easy to get cut off in the one or two times it didn't work. But I think you want him to be the reason you pay him almost $2 million to be here. Even if that means that that's why he has a built-in system of five big plays or less, because he knows that type of stuff is going to happen. So if you look at it the same way he looks at it, then it sucks, but you live with it a little bit more because there's a reason he got hired here. You live with the, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And that's what hyper-focused focusing on that play or even the Notre Dame play. That's kind of what it is. It's throwing the baby out with the bathwater a little bit. It's but tough I, but I do because it, you can right, clean so, the bath water. Clean the bath water. How do you clean That's bath all? water? You take out the dirt. I don't know. How do you? You get a scoop. <laughs> scoop out the dirt. <laughs> well, you you drain the bath and you put new water in. That's what they did when they hired Jim Knowles. Because that's you know go back to last year. We were talking about explosive plays given up by this defense last year, but it wasn't because of over aggression. It's because it was defense that was back on its heels and was having the the action of games dictated to it too often. And so that's what makes this tough. And and also like if Jim Knowles says he regrets the play call in some ways, the thing he's saying is uh, I, I trusted those guys too much. I trusted Josh Proctor and Cam Brown to make open field tackles too much. 
And I and I, I understand what you're saying, Doug, about how he could say those are instances of when I was too aggressive. But in both cases, it wasn't like it was a pass to somebody who got wide open. It was a pass to somebody, a guy needed to make a tackle and didn't. And I think that's why his his head still works that way. That at the end of the day, that guy wasn't taught to make that tackle the right way more than the play concept failed. No, but you're creating situations where if you miss a tackle, it's out of the house for a touchdown. I mean, there's help all the time. Guys miss tackles and it doesn't lead to 60-yard touchdowns. So he chose to do that in that moment. He chose with his aggression to lead to create a situation where one missed play leads to a touchdown instead of just a big game. Right. So that's that was his choice in that moment. So, you know, like it's we're just getting a handle on him. I do think it's interesting. We talked from the get go with Jim with Jim Knowles saying he wanted to limit it to five big plays. It's just interesting that he wants to limit the big plays while playing a style of defense that puts you at risk for big plays, because like you could say, well, my philosophy is limit big plays. But he's always said from the jump, I I don't want to be a bend, but don't break defense. Like I want to get off on third down. I want to create turnovers and that kind of thing. So he he does at times create situations where he says we don't want to give up big plays, but he creates situations where it's more likely to give up a big play because if if you don't get your own big play, maybe now you're in a one-on-one situation where one mistake is a 50-yard mistake instead of a 15-yard mistake. And that's what he chooses to do. So in the end, Stephen, in the end, pull back. This, these are our choices. Jim Knowles pulls back 20% because he the, the question he was asked was, um, sometimes is it, do you want to just say, like, let's do the easy thing? Maybe that could be the best thing. He said, absolutely, I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. I'm always trying to control an, untro- an uncontrollable game. You know what I mean? That's football coaching. So he wants to control an uncontrollable game, but he's doing it very aggressively. So options are as aggressive as ever or 20% less aggressive. What would you pick for this game from Jim Knowles? Just be aggressive um, with the caveat of maybe just pick your spots a little better. But you can say that with anything. So I'd say continue to be aggressive because for most of the season, it's worked for you. Nathan, would you pull back 20% or keep doing what you're doing? I think I'd just keep doing what I'm doing. I, I think I'd be as aggressive as ever. I mean, what if you go back and you look, and from Jim Moles' perspective, what you diagnosed on that play was that a, yes, a zero blitz has has its um, vulnerabilities, but maybe it was it was telegraphed too much, and that's why J.J. McCarthy got the throw off. Like, there's a lot of subtleties that go into why a player didn't or didn't work. So I, I and I just, I don't, I, I saw what this defense looked like last year, and I saw what this defense has looked like all year this year. I take this defense, and that's going to come with some risk. No, I know. But, I, like, it's not all or nothing. It really is not. It's not all or nothing. Would I take last year's defense or this year's defense? I'd take this year's. But I might take this year's minus 20% in this game. And, again, it's one of those things you have to know. Cam Brown is not an All-American cornerback. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's nothing against Cam Brown. Well, you should have taught him better. It's like you're you're making a do-or-die situation is that how you want to go about it? So anyway, okay, we, we made our point on that. Um, I did think, Nathan, it was interesting, Jim Knowles talking about like dark times, right? Like this is, it's one of those, I don't love the lines of questioning about like, I like asking people about things. I don't love asking people about their reaction to people's reaction to things. The idea is that the defense wasn't good enough, that the defense 
gave up big plays against Michigan. That's what matters. The whole conversation about fans were then mad because the defense gave up big plays and you lost. What do you think of that? We get a lot of that. We get a lot of that. And it's that like, was well, way too much about the last two days. What's that? There was way too many questions like that over the last two days, but there was the, the coordinators or players. Yeah. Just, just ask about the thing. Cause it's like, this is how, I mean, it's like, don't we all know how sports works at this point? Fans are happy when you win and they're mad when you lose. And if your whole conversation is, what did you think of people being mad when you lose? It's like that, that my interest level in that conversation is, is not, I'm interested in talking to fans about being mad. What about it made you mad? You love your team. You want them to win. They didn't win. How did that make you feel? How does it make you feel going forward? And then I like talking to the players and coaches about their actions on the field and their decisions and the things they did. But then the third level, what did you think of what of how they reacted? And like you said, Stephen, it's like that's like 65% of the conversation. And everybody's like, well, you know, maybe it hurts your feelings, but I try to knock it, you know. But but Nathan, like, you know, they love you. It's like, well, you know, you, when they don't listen when they love you, that way it won't won't affect you when they hate you. And it's like, that's just it's just being a human. Just I don't care what anybody thinks ever. Great. Let's have a conversation about football. But he did say dark times. He said dark times, Nathan, which I think is not him being sad that people were mad. No. It was him being sad because Ohio State lost to Michigan and the defense gave up some stuff. He he failed. Like it, it, you know, his, his his goal was to you know have Ohio State be a Big Ten championship defense again, and it's not. It wasn't. So I think that's where the dark times were. It, it was interesting though because we're still learning a lot about Jim Knowles. It's only been here, you know, not even a calendar year yet, and he did admit that when you're a younger coach, sometimes you do ride that roller coaster of emotion a little bit more. You do, as any younger person probably does, listen a little bit more to the praise and a little bit more to the criticism than you should. And now his philosophy is, is which is constructive for, I think, all of us, like, who cares what other people think? Because it's not helping you do the next thing better. It's not helping you win this next game. Yeah, also his starting word in Wordle, because someone was making a checkers chess comparison, and he said, I like Wordle. And he said he starts with the same word in Wordle all the time, and it's salet, S-A-L-E-T, which sounds French. I don't even know what that is. Do you guys know what salet is? I didn't look it up. Is it like chalet? I don't know. You're the Frenchman, man. Silence. Salet. A light round helmet extending over the back of the neck. What? Or like a, a salon, element. a small room. Oh, this is one of those things. This is like a Vanity Fair like lead to the Jim Knowles story. It's like it starts off with how did he arrive at this word? And then it turns out that the word, his starting word in Wordle encompasses everything he thinks about life professionally and personally. Inside that starting word is the secret to Jim Knowles. It's also a small room. One time I wrote about a, a high school football coach who wore a Hardee's jacket all the time. It was like a, a shimmery black jacket with the Hardee's logo on it. And the reason that he wore it was he found it, I think, like in a lost and found 
but it was a jacket that you got for being like the employee of the month at Hardee's. And he was like, why wouldn't you want to be draped in a sign of excellence? That I wear this jacket because somebody worked hard to be the employee of the month at Hardee's. And I appreciate that. And it's a reminder to me that there are people out there every day in every situation working as hard as they can to be the best they can be. And as a high school football coach, that's how I want to go about my business. And I wrote like a 6,000 word story about a Hardee's jacket. So now I'm going to write a 6,000 word story, Stephen, about Saleh. Think it'll work? I wish you all the luck in the world. Yeah. You'd read be it. interesting. Probably be behind a paywall. Nobody would read it. I spent nine months on this Jim Knowles Wordle story, and it was behind the paywall, and 400 people read it. Okay, Nathan, you and I, I think we're at Jim Knowles a big chunk of the time. Any other things from Jim Knowles, $2 million defensive coordinator, going up against $2 million a year offensive coordinator Todd Monken that we need to discuss here on Buckeye Talk? Well, obviously, it's been this weird juxtaposition because the – Everything that's going on here in a positive way for Ohio State still has Michigan kind of draped over it. But he did talk a little bit about the similarities similarities that he saw between Michigan and Georgia. And, you know, the multiple tight ends, the use of the, you know, very effective use of the run game and in play action off of that, you know, being a, a not a what is now very typical spread offense throughout college football, being an offense where, you know, how did he put it? Like where you have to, you, they make you fight at the line of scrimmage. You have to win at the line of scrimmage in a different way against teams like this. So I, I, that I thought was interesting. And it's something I'm kind of writing about tomorrow is, you know, there's this whole defense and I'm, I'm kind of doing it through Lathan Rantham's eyes. Guys, this whole defense spent all season proving itself to be an improvement over last year. And then they fall off this cliff at the, in this last game, these five instances and their individual players who that applies to. And then how does that all, how do they come back from that and kind of prove themselves again? And George is the opportunity to do that. And it's interesting that they see so many similarities, not necessarily that Michigan had tight ends, the quality of Georgia's, but just the way that they used them. And not necessarily that Georgia has a running back at the top. That's maybe quite as dynamic. It's certainly not as much as, as Corum and even Edwards, but that what they do as a running game um, just, just, Similar things that Ohio State has to prioritize in this matchup, considering they're coming off of a matchup that so right now defines what the defense was this year. I will say, though, I think that comparison only goes so far because and I think Jim Knowles was mostly talking about it like schematically, right? Like at two tight ends, right? that kind right. of thing. It's not a spread. It's more of an NFL thing. Michigan runs the ball all the time and Georgia doesn't. That like they line up in similar ways. But they do attack you, I think, in fairly significantly different ways. Michigan is third in the nation in rushing yards per game with 3,159. Georgia is 13th in the nation in rushing yards per game with 2,691. Georgia is 17th in the nation in passing yards with 3,704. And Michigan is 76th in the nation in passing yards with 2,736. So, Stephen, Georgia's thrown for about 1,000 more yards than Michigan has. And I do want to discuss this because I have 
So on the College Football Survivor Show, it's just the schedule. We kind of got to stick to the schedule. I usually like to wait until the end of the week to make my pick, but I had to make it on the Survivor Show. So if people want to go, I'm not going to change my pick unless there's a shattering event that causes me to change my whole view of the game. So if you want to get my pick early, you can listen to the edition of the College Football Survivor Show that came out Wednesday evening. But I do think Ohio State's going to move the ball, Stephen. And I I do really think the big thing for Ohio State in this matchup is can Ohio State's defense slow down Georgia's offense? And so regardless of whether you guys agree with that or not, because we'll get into our picks when we do, it'll be up on Friday on Buckeye Talk. What do you think, Stephen, Ohio State's defense is, is better equipped to stop? So schematically, these two teams are similar. But Michigan runs it more. Georgia throws it more. What do you think is the tougher matchup for Ohio State? Would they, would they rather face this Georgia team that's throwing to tight ends and running backs out of these formations, or would they rather face a Michigan team that is going to run the ball, whatever it is, 60% of the time out of these formations? I think that's an interesting question because I've seen stats, especially for PFF, saying that Ohio State's one of the better teams in the country in covering tight ends and running backs. Now, Grant haven't played Brock Bowers, tight level tight ends every single week, so you take that with a grain of salt. But also, they've stopped the run outside of those big plays. They were stopping the run against Michigan. With that being said, I think you would take the tight end running back situation that Georgia has because we, I understand it's more than one tight end, and we're going to harp on that and harp on that and harp on that. But we've at least seen them be able to slow down an NFL-level tight end before. We haven't seen them completely shut down a run game who has a guy that can take something that's basically nothing and make it an explosive play the way Donovan – who can make you play, pay for being out of position, basically, which is what that Michigan game turned into. And it, regardless of which team it was – Michigan is fourth in time of possession per game. Georgia is fifth in time of possession per game. So it's regardless of how they go about it, the point is neither one of them wants to go very fast. They want to control, have ball control and control the game on that point. So it's regardless of which way you look at it, it's can Ohio State get off the field? And that kind of became an issue against Michigan at, at some point in the second half as well. Can they get off, regardless of if they're trying to cover Brock Bowers or stop this goggle of running backs, it's, can they get off the field on third down? Nathan, what do you think? What do you think Ohio State is more designed to stop out of this kind of scheme? A team that runs it a lot or a team that's going to throw it to tight ends and running backs? I'm trying to think back now to who they faced this year that really tried to throw to their running backs that much. It, it's kind of like what Stephen was saying. Like I, So, I, it, so I'll, I'll interrupt you with the stat that I've been working on okay. all day. To your point. Okay. I didn't In know if you were saving that for a different 12 games. No, I'll, I'll do it now. In 12 games, 25 receptions for 120 yards, Ohio State has given up to opposing running backs. 25 for 120. Georgia running backs this year in 13 games, 53 catches for 593 yards. So it is double the number of catches, but it is four times the number of yards. Like these guys... They are not getting three-yard yeah, chunks when they throw it to the running backs. Yeah. It, it, the, the fully instructive thing, though, is to go back and look. Okay, 
which Ohio State opponents did throw to the running backs a lot, but either didn't against Ohio State, and if they didn't, why was it? Like, I'm thinking of, like, the Wisconsin game uh, with Braylon Edwards. Like, that was somebody that – Braylon Allen. I thought that was someone that they would have thrown to a lot more, and the way that game unfolded, maybe that's what took the battle. I don't know. It's just I, – I, I guess – I mean, the thing that Ohio State has been exposed by the most consistently this year – the Michigan game was an anomaly almost because what they've been exposed by the most is cornerback play. Um, and so I would take I would take a team keeping the ball on the ground and Ohio State stopping that because it, it likes what it has up front. It likes the way those linebackers play. Those guys have dictated the, the, the tone of games this year in a way that the secondary has not. I would, I would take that over a matchup that is what Georgia is going to do. All right, so Nathan, I think you you do bring up a good point about like I I, I guess if I have time, double check like how often does do those other teams try to throw the ball to running backs? But I don't think anyone throws the ball to running backs like Georgia does no. because they they'll throw swing passes, they throw screens. It's like a get out of jail free card for Stetson Bennett. He takes those checkdowns. Brock Bowers was talking about that from the tight end perspective as well because again they throw it to tight ends or running backs. They said Todd Monken is good at designing little routes for them. And he does take checkdowns. And I know, again, Ohio State, I think, would be happy if C.J. Stroud maybe took some more checkdowns. And I think he's making that progression. But, like, again, I don't I don't mind a guy with a big brain and a big arm saying, like, I'm going to take big shots down the field because I think I can make them. But Stetson Bennett, I think this is where a little bit – and Todd Monken was funny about this. Because, again, I, I read – I did not spend any time at Stetson Bennett. And you guys were um, – headed to practice by that point. Didn't love that crossover. Like what? You got to like decide if you're going to like interview Georgia players or get on the bus for the Ohio state practice. Like it's a big long day. Can't we figure this out? But I did read through it just to check if, if anyone asked, are you aware of an Ohio state podcast host who does an impression of you? And to my knowledge, he was not asked that question, but Todd Monken even said something. There was a lot of discussion again, because they don't get these guys. They're having, I was asking Todd Monken a bunch of questions about Cleveland, but th- there were Georgia reporters who were very happy to have sort of ground up conversations with a guy who's been a coordinator here for three years because it's like the fifth time they've ever talked to him. You know, it wasn't like, oh, God, we have to do Todd Monken's origin story again. I wish this Cleveland guy would shut up. Maybe they thought that for other reasons, but like they were happy with it because they haven't completely done that story yet because you don't get to talk to the guy. So even the idea of like, the story of – there are still a lot of questions for Stetson Bennett about, hey, you're a walk-on, and they didn't want to make you the quarterback. But someone said to Todd Munkin, when did you know that Stetson Bennett was your quarterback? And he was like, sometimes he, make play, he makes plays where I still don't know if he's our quarterback. <laughs> and it was like, that is too real. But then he also said, sometimes I call plays where I wonder, should I be the offensive coordinator here? So he made it a joke and it's fair, obviously, but even Stetson, I think reading through still carries a little bit of like a, Hey, they, they didn't pick me from the start. You know, like he carries that with him. But I think in the end, Nathan, I will say this. I thought perhaps incorrectly, that this Ohio State defense under Jim Knowles and the way it played this year was more prepared to stop Michigan's run game. I actually thought that was not a terrible matchup for Ohio State. I thought, okay, these defensive tackles, you have some you have some physical ends in Zach Harrison and JT Tuimolo out. I'll stick Tommy Eichenberg right there in a gap and shut that down. You have some safeties who can come clean up stuff. I didn't think that was an unwinnable matchup against this 
Michigan run game that everybody has a lot of respect for. I think this is tougher. And yes, the stats will you can lead you, and I think they are important, that yeah, Ohio State's good against tight ends and running backs. I don't know if they're going to be good against this. And I think that Stetson Bennett comes with a governor, right? I mean, C.J. Stroud is a sports car, man. He knows he can go 105. And sometimes when you know, I've gone 105, not me personally. I would never do that. My favorite attribute is caution. But C.J. Stroud, as a football player, has gone 105. I mean, what was the Rose Bowl? He's going like 130 down the PCH, man. Like that is like he's living the dream. Michigan State, he's doing donuts in the parking lot. C.J. Stroud has been behind the wheel of the sports car, and he knows what it's capable of. Why wouldn't you want to keep driving that sports car? And every now and then, Ohio State's like, could you just – this is – it's a slow – and C.J.'s like, I got this, man, and I get it. Stetson Bennett can't go 105. It's a Tercel. I have a friend who bought a Tercel when we were in college. I'm 50. He's still, I'm 49. He's still driving that car. I just saw him. He's driving the car from college still. That's Stetson Bennett. But you know what it does, Nathan? Car gets him around. Car will get you from Athens to Atlanta. And if you need it, I think that car can get you to LA. Might get there a little bit slower. And that aspect almost, that part of it, the governor, the, the lid on this Georgia offense yeah, maybe they'll take some shots with A.D. Mitchell and down the field and try to take advantage of the Ohio State corners, that kind of thing. I have come around, Nathan, where I wonder about the ability of this Ohio State defense to stop an offense that I think is well-called, has good running backs and tight ends who can catch the ball, that will take eight-yard chunks consistently and efficiently. And I'm not so sure that Georgia might not march up and down the field on Saturday and give Ohio state real problems the way they've given a lot of people problems, dropping 49 on Oregon, dropping 50 on LSU. Yeah. They have capabilities to make big plays, but they'll also just slice and dice you to death with Kenny McIntosh and Brock Bowers. And I don't, I don't know, Nathan, I don't know about Ohio state's ability to, to, to shut that door. You know where they played those games, by the way, where they scored 99 combined points against top 20 teams, Oregon and LSU. Inside. In this building we're going to be in the other night, tomorrow, a couple nights from now. And I, I was thinking about that as I was listening to your conversation yesterday about Ohio State playing indoors. And I think all those things you brought up were correct with the caveat that many of those examples came against Big Ten teams. And now you've got to go play SEC athletes indoors. And not that Clemson didn't have some good ones in 2020 when Ohio State blew them off the field. But we also saw what happened a week later, and Miami wasn't indoors, but as Stephen said, it almost might as well have been. So I, I, I have some of the same reservations as you the more that this goes on because – and I thought Jim Knowles brought up a good point today too where he was like – because he's getting a lot of questions about the tight ends. And finally he's like, well, you watch them on film, and everybody knows that they're like these two great tight ends, and yet they're always wide open. Like they're wide open all the time. How, how is that possible? And how does that happen? I think was what he said. And it's because it's it, number one, they're really good. And number two, it's an offense that is schemed up really well to best utilize its most productive weapons. And the, what we saw, what we questioned from Ohio state in some of its usage and who it was getting the ball to against Michigan, especially in the second half of that game um, 
that's something else that, that can't happen in this game. Like, I, even if you have confidence that Ohio State's defense can bounce back from Michigan and maybe choke off the explosive plays, you can't have an offense that stagnates for that long and think you're going to keep Georgia contained and win the game. So I, I have the same reservations you do. I think that, that Georgia is going to be able to move the ball. And even if Ohio State can, um, is it going to be able to do uh, enough? You know, it's it's one thing. You can drive the, the PCH at 130 against Utah when the, when it's when it's paved with uh, running backs playing DB. It's harder to drive 130 on a road that's paved with uh, Jalen Carter and Chris Smith and Keely Mingo and the other guys that Georgia has. So, so, let, so I want to get back to you on that because you did, you were not here for the conversation that Stephen and I had yesterday about that idea. But Stephen, what what is what do you think? Do you think Ohio State is going to have trouble slowing down an efficient but not really explosive Georgia offense, or do you think that the Ohio State defense is kind of built for this? No, they're not built for this. I think it's going to be very interesting to watch because Jim Knowles keeps saying he doesn't want a bender break defense. Well, too bad Georgia has an offense that makes you be a bender break defense because That's they will point. just gradually work their way up the field. They're not looking for the 60-yard play. It's more of a when they happen, they happen. If we can jet sweep at the Brock Bowers and he breaks somebody off and he goes 60, cool. If you know we happen to have a deep ball go great, then cool. But for the most part, we're going to keep – we said this, they're going to keep Stetson Bennett within himself as much as possible. You compare it to almost Baker Mayfield-ish where he'll have his moments where it feels like if it feels like he's getting outside himself, Todd Munkin will pull him back and make sure he stays within that car. And so because of that, I I, I don't think Jim Knowles has the choice whether or not he's going to be bender break because back to the aggressive conversation, there's going to be like a second and six where he sends a blitz that he shouldn't have sent. And it's not going to end up in a touchdown, but it's going to end up with you know, Georgia staying on schedule. And so maybe when they could have gotten off the field on the next play, now they got to start this whole process over, this whole process over. So I won't be shocked if there's some six minutes or seven minute drives where if we were sitting next to Jim Knowles, he's driving himself crazy because he's ready to get off the field, but Georgia won't let him. I, again, in the, in the name of changing your mind as you evaluate things, I know I said on this podcast, whatever that I thought maybe it was better to blitz Stetson Bennett than it was to blitz J.J. McCarthy. I still think it's better to blitz Stetson Bennett, the player. I don't think it is better to blitz Todd Monken's quarterback of this efficient check-down-ready offense, if you know what I mean. Like I think maybe as much as Stetson Bennett is a great story and a Heisman finalist, it's like, man, I'm not so sure I wouldn't want to try to get in that guy's face. But he's been trained by Todd Monken that I just th- I just think he's going to dump it off and let Kenny McIntosh go to work. He's going to dump it off and let Brock Bowers go to work. And so I wonder about that. I didn't I was I I really I asked Todd Monken a couple Cleveland questions. It was hard to get questions in. And then I walked with him cuz he said he has regrets about his time in Cleveland. And I walked with him and I said, "What were the regrets?" And he said that I did a S blanky job. And he said the S word 50 times in 20 minutes it was like i was like did you he just came out of the tv room i was like did you do this in the tv room or were you like oh i wanted to say them all in the tv room and i couldn't so i saved them all for you guys it was great it was he was smart he was funny he was relaxed he was making fun of himself um but he wouldn't get specific about the regrets in cleveland but that thing Stephen, that again i i don't know if i'll take another run at him but the idea that like 
Baker Mayfield was Todd Monken's training ground for Stetson Bennett. There's a specific, there's a tiny window of people who would read that story. And they're all going to beat the Browns game on Sunday. I get one that they're on the road. But anyway, like that, that, that kind of, I think that's, I got to maybe try to do that at media day and get like five minutes by myself to be like, can I ask you about the comp- the similarities between Stetson Bennett and Baker Mayfield, because I think some of the problems with Baker Mayfield is that he thinks he's a sports car and he might be more of a Tercel. And so that's why he threw 25 interceptions because he tried to go 130 in his Tercel and the wheels fell off and the windshield cracked and he lost all his mirrors and then the engine overheated. And Todd Monken was like, I got to get out of here. And then he came and and then he found a quarterback who was happy driving the Tercel and didn't want to try to go 130. And the answer is a pretty darn efficient offense. I officially am on the side of, I think Ohio State's bigger issue in this game is with the Georgia offense than with the Georgia defense. So that will lead us into the thing, Nathan, I wanted to get back to you and we'll get everybody on this. That's my official position. When, we, when Nathan and I had the conversation, you said, hey, you know, first you said Georgia scored 40 and 59, uh, 50 and 49 in this stadium indoors, which is part of the indoor conversation. But that's an offensive. That's an offensive issue. They do give up yards indoors. They do give up. They, you know. So did you think that my contention that this is good for Ohio State's offense, this is indoors, this is their chance. Did you think I went too far with that because you you still think this is a real issue with how good this Georgia defense is? And that will lead you to which is the bigger issue for Ohio State? Is it with the Georgia offense or is it with the very, very, very good Georgia defense? I think it's just the context of it. I think that Ohio State being indoors against uh, athletes from Northwestern and Wisconsin and Iowa – or whoever is in general a very favorable matchup for Ohio State and against Georgia athletes it's less of a favorable matchup and closer maybe even to being neutralized I mean it's just the level that Georgia recruits at the athletes that Georgia brings in the areas of the country that it pulls its athletes from I mean it's just it's a different animal it's we've it's, it's the conversation that that dictates so many of the things we talk about in college sports so I just think that that has to that caveat has to be in mind that yes Ohio State typically loves to start a track meet indoors but they're probably going against a track team on defense on Saturday that may negate or or neutralize that advantage they normally have. They also dropped six thirty on Clemson. I mean, it's not like we understand it's Big Ten. Northwestern is different than Georgia. Yes. yes. The two Clemson defenses they played, I don't know if they're as good as Georgia, but like Stephen, like that's the we're in the conversation, you know, we've kind yeah, of, Stephen, you and I, are, are, I mean, like that's, I think it's, it's close enough. It's as close as you're going to get. Um, so Nathan, officially your, you think which side of the ball will be the bigger issue for Ohio state going against the Georgia offense or the Georgia defense? Uh, I think, uh, uh, I think the Georgia offense is going to cause more matchup problems. And um, because I think Ohio state can, can move the ball. But I think um, I think the Georgia def- the Georgia offense can cause more matchup problems. Stephen, what would be the bigger problem? Georgia offense, Georgia defense. I get exactly where you guys are coming from, but it's still the Georgia defense because I'm almost as the week goes on. I'm I don't care how many points this defense gives up. 
if the offense does what we think it can do, as, as, as has been my mindset this whole time. And even with this offense, this Georgia offense is better than the one a year ago, but it still operates in a way that it feeds off its defense. So it's a combination of when Stetson starts feeling himself, it's when they get score, stop, score, score, stop, score, score, stop, score. So now it's like, oh, this Ohio State's offense not showing up to play? Hmm, let me try some stuff. Let me try some stuff here. So, and he kind of started doing it against LSU. It's just the game was already out of hand, so it didn't matter. If C.J. Stroud, Emeka Ibuka, and Marvin Harrison are connecting, and I'm not even worried about them moving the ball. I'm worried about them scoring with it. So if they're scoring and they're forcing Stetson Bennett to have to match that, I don't think Stetson Bennett can match that. But I do know that if Georgia's defense is forcing Ohio State to kick field goals or get three and outs, and then you put Stetson on the field and he starts feeling himself, and you give him a runway and a little bit of a leash to make some mistakes, that's when this offense for Georgia gets dangerous. Yep. No, I think that's smart. I think that's right. That they they really do. You They do. They really feed off each other. Score stop score is scary for Ohio State. That is like the, the scariest idea of like, like the game, like score stop score, start the game, and it's 14 nothing. Yeah. Eight minutes in is a very scary scenario for Ohio State. Not impossible. Because I will say again, I've been I've been dabbling, you know, I went back and I was just I was just watching, re-watching the 2007 national title game, and Ohio State jumped out to a lead in that game, which again, I was trying to remember, I was like, oh yeah, no, Ohio State jumped out. And I was like, oh no, then it kind of got away from him there. So, uh, you know, the Ohio State offense, I think, has the ability to overcome a slow start, but you don't want Georgia to get in a rhythm on either side of the ball. All right, quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about some of the Ohio defensive player, Ohio State defensive players we talked to on Wednesday. We'll do that after this on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice back with Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. I spent the whole time, one of the sessions, with um, Tommy Eichenberg, who I was talking to a lot about the idea of covering some of these running backs in the passing game. And I, and I think Tommy Eichenberg is a better player in that regard than I thought he was. And I think he, he takes some pride in that. He cracked a smile about the idea of what's it like when you're out in space with a running back catching a swing pass. And he liked the, you know, it's man versus you versus him and someone's going to win and it's one-on-one. And I, he believes in him. He has, I said, how do you feel in that moment? I said, I feel confident that I, I do think, Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers have the ability to tackle some of these running backs in space. I do think that if Tommy Eichenberg was a little bit more of a running back catcher while he was defensive player of the game in the Rose Bowl a year ago, I think he can be more of a sideline to sideline linebacker in this game. I don't think it is game over with the stats of, of how successfully Georgia throws the ball to running backs. And again, I just, I spent a lot of time with Kenny McIntosh. He is a fun guy, lead back for Georgia. A lot of conversation about like, hey, you know, this is the plan here. We want to keep guys fresh. They tell us that. I like it. Keeps you fresh for the league, all those kind of things. Just like a really, like a good football player. And I, I just like have a lot of respect for the way that guy goes about his game. He's really dangerous in the pass game. And they've leaned on him a little bit more in the run game too. But Tommy Eichenberg's not afraid of that. So I thought, I thought Tommy Eichenberg like is ready for this. And I, and I got him to crack a smile. So that was one point for me. I checked that off on my Peach Bowl bingo card. Nathan, I know you spent a decent amount of time with Lathan Ransom, right? Trying to dig in again on these broken plays against Michigan. How do you bounce back from that, right? Yeah, because again, I just thought that he was an interesting person. And one of the people we were just given for interviews, but it could have been Cam Brown. It could have been any number of guys. 
But, you know, he was one of the guys that had, you know, a a great story through 11 games. I mean, a guy breaks his leg in the Rose Bowl. We're coming up on a calendar year of that. It'll be one day short of that when they play the, the semifinal. Comes all the way back as a Thorpe Award semifinalist. Like, look at everything you've done and what you've proven this year. And then what's, like, the lasting impression that's been running in people's mind, running in his mind, is him, you know, chasing that Michigan tight end after getting crossed up in coverage and uh, in futility on his way to a, to a touchdown. and. That's kind of, I thought, just kind of personified what this whole defense has to do a little bit, which is uh, learn from that experience, but also kind of remember that this was a a championship caliber defense for the season. We talked before the year, like what level is this defense going to have to be at to for Ohio State to have a chance at a national championship? And it, I think, exceeded everybody's expectations. It's still... Uh, ranks really high, even after you throw the Michigan loss on top of that and all the, the statistics from that game. Um, it, it, when, when we were talking about whether expecting Ohio State to be a top 10 defense was this kind of uh, almost a fool's errand to throw it at Jim Knowles in the first year, and they got there. So how much of that experience, can they, can they pull back that the confidence that they had through 11 games before it got you know, it took a blow against Michigan and apply it to this matchup, which as we're talking about here, it's, 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 it's specific challenges. It's uh, it's a team that you have to defend uh, all over the field, but is there reason to think that, that honestly does have something better in it, that if you just choke off those five plays um, that this is still a championship level defense. Knowles went there a little bit too, right? Like the idea of like takeaway and it's not, not like, as an excuse, but as an analysis, take away the five plays. Did you like what you did? And again, I think you have to keep in mind that the things they were trying to do on the other plays in some part help lead to the five plays. So there's a push and pull, but that like, I don't, Steven, I don't think it's as an excuse. It's like, who wants to hear that? Yeah. Take away, take away the five dumbest things I said on this podcast and it's been a great podcast, right? I mean, you don't get to do that. That's not how life works. But from an, a football analysis standpoint, Stephen, I don't think that's a ridiculous analysis of like, you know, down to down, play to play. It was not too bad. And then we cracked five times and it killed us. And what do you think of that thinking? It doesn't work for fans, but it works when you're trying to coach it and you're trying to review what happened in the game. So they can't, genuinely speaking, they probably can't say those five plays, or if somebody doesn't get out of position on those five plays, we probably beat Michigan. And it, you learn, it's something to t- take into the next game so that next time, whoever was out of position, whether it's a defensive lineman, a linebacker, a safety, or a corner, whoever, you learn from that the next day. It doesn't help you. They still lost to Michigan. So it didn't change that. But it does help them going against Georgia because – I mean, there's only so many play calls with a defense. So a lot of the play calls that they were calling against Michigan and Indiana and Iowa, they're probably going to call against Georgia. But this time, guys are going to be better positioned because they got called out for it for not being in position. And then they also, not only did they get called out for it, they saw what can go wrong when you're out of position. So if they learn from it, that's good coaching. If they don't, if we get to the Georgia game and they call whatever, you know, cover three fire or whatever, they call the same exact blitz. And in that situation, Cameron Brown doesn't make the tackle or whoever's supposed to be the safety over top to help a cornerback when he gets beat, he's not there, then that's bad coaching. It's an analysis that I think probably hits fans' ears better from a uh, a 17 to 14 loss or something like that. You know what I mean? Like five is a lot. 
Five is yeah. a lot of explosive plays. It almost that's almost a number that negates whatever else you did well for the other however many plays. Like five is too many when they all result in touchdowns. That's the other killer thing because five is a number that Jim Knowles is comfortable with uh, that, that they can win with. But I don't think when he said that five explosives undefeated, I don't think he would also would have said five explosives in parentheses all touchdowns undefeated that's asking a lot that's you're you've just given up 30 points that's a lot well also matching it with if you're giving up five explosive plays you probably had five big time plays on your own to you come back to net zero and that didn't happen against michigan either you just gave up five i don't know i can't remember what the biggest defensive play they made in that game maybe the biggest play was mike hall telling jj mccarthy you can't run here so he had to throw it deep down the field but even that he didn't lose yards they just lost it down epa per play which is just a nice little shorthand, expected points added per play. Offensively, this is – I had to just double-check it right now to make sure I had it right. Offensively, Georgia is 13th in the nation overall, but they are 5th passing and 67th running. So that is another reminder. Michigan, in contrast, is 11th in rushing and 19th in passing. And again, like the 11 for Michigan feels low to me, right? That it's it, – you know, it's kind of easier to add – expected points in the passing game, which is why people say throw the ball instead of run the ball. But again, this is a rank overall 60. This is a passing team. This, is, this Georgia team is a passing team. It's just not a down the field passing team. It's a, it's a very specific kind of passing team. And so in the end, I think that is a great challenge. And I know we we've talked about this multiple times, Stephen, the Jack Sawyer aspect of this. How does that factor into all of it? We thought maybe the Jack was the secret thing against the Michigan run game. That totally did not happen at all. Could it be a thing against this, could Jack Sawyer be out like chasing running backs down or like ca- tackling tight ends? I don't know. Jack Sawyer was one of the people that we talked to. I know you were asking Jim Knowles about Jack Sawyer and it kind of felt like, I don't know. The answer I heard when you asked Jim Knowles about it was sort of like, yeah, we're just, we're not going to get there this year. Yeah. It, it felt even the answers that I was asking Jack about it, <clears throat> it was almost paired with, yeah, the Jack is great, but we also can do a really good job of, you know, when we just have our basic front four down front. And I am wondering, and it, as I was sitting there talking to him, I'm wondering if Jack's the right person for that or if he's just the best person on the roster for that, especially now that I've seen the type of player they're recruiting for that position. He doesn't fit that. Now, we can say all this when we get to Saturday and they completely unleash Jack and he has the Jack Leo transformation that we've been waiting for. But they haven't really used it that often even if we've seen it in spurts and it hasn't really had the impact that we would maybe have seen at Oklahoma state or even at Duke. And from every time we've asked for an update, it's like, yeah, he's coming along, but it's never felt like, like I remember back in fall camp when we were asking him about the defensive install, he would go 25%, 60%. Oh, we're at a hundred percent. It never felt like he was headed in a positive direction there. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It just seems like that was a lot for Jack to earn, to learn. And it maybe took away from him just making that normal transition as a five-star defensive end who was brought here because he can get out to the quarterback. So I'm, I'll be surprised at how much we see it on Saturday in terms of the impact it makes. They're going to do it because it's what they do, but I don't think Jack is near a position yet where we can go, oh, here's Jack's game because they're going up against the perfect team to where they got found in escape apps, but nope, the Jack was right there. Steel Chambers and JT Tuimoloa were the two other Ohio State defensive players that we talked to on Wednesday. Um, It's important to hear from these guys, but also we 
have a pretty good feel for these guys because we talked to them in Columbus. We are, we are able to talk to these guys a lot. Nathan, is there anything else that you think we need to cover that just came up with Ohio state players at all? That was like, Oh yeah, this seemed like the thing that mattered. Nothing's jumping to jumping to my mind that we haven't talked about yet. Steven, anything from the players, the OSU defensive players? Um, I mean, just fun fact, uh, JT Tui Malowal, Keely Ringo, G. Scott, and Denzel Burke grew up playing on the same 707 team, but that's just more of a, hey, did you know this? Nothing that's going to have an impact on the game. This day wasn't as full of information as maybe the offensive day was, because that's what happens when your offense only scores three points in the second half. Yeah. And uh, on Thursday, as you guys are listening to this, on Thursday we'll be having the media day. that We anticipate full team on both sides. So we're hoping – to talk to some interesting Ohio State people that we don't get a, a chance to talk to as much, including the backup quarterbacks, potentially a guy like Sonny Styles, also maybe some other people that are going to factor into this game. Um, Forty-five minute window to try to talk to every member of the, every member of the, every member of the team. We'll take it. It used to be it used to be longer. I think at bowl games it used to be ninety minutes, but. You can get good stuff. I mean, it's like I and and I'm terrible at this. It's like, oh yeah, there's a quote from like two and a half years ago that I didn't use yet. But like the Greg Studrawa, if Dewan Jones hits, he can be a first round offensive tackle. That was from Media Day against Clemson in 2019, right? Yep. And I was like, yeah, I stud about Dewan Jones. You know, I asked Urban Meyer a, a Kings of the North question at media day in 2019 when he was there for Fox, once he was done with Ohio state and saved it for two and a half years for us to write a story about it. So um, maybe we'll gather some really inf- interesting information, but the good thing, Nathan is we'll text it. So the texters will get this interesting information right away. And then it may appear in a feature story on cleveland.com in 2025. Yeah. Doug William Reese, the, the 17th, you'll just pass it down through the generations until it's, it, it's, it's somebody can write something interesting about it, a retrospective. Yeah. Oh, this is a money Joe Royer quote. I can't wait to use it until <laughs> Maryland week 2027. It is going to be, it is going to blow people's socks off. So that's where we are, which is all in the state of Georgia, which is progress. Media day with the whole team on Thursday. Our plan is this bunch of stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. Bunch of texts at 614-350-3315. If you're stumbling across this podcast for the first time and you've gotten this far in and you're like, what? What the text? What is it, huh? You send a text to that number. You get a link back to sign up. You sign up. It's free for two weeks. And then if you type stop, if you text stop back to that number sometime the next two weeks, you will never get charged. And you'll get our information and analysis about Ohio State for as long as you're in. So you can do that at 614-350-3315. Friday pod, I think the first one Friday morning when you wake up will probably be rants, and I think I'm going to send the call out now. We haven't had them in a while. We'll let the texters rant. Where are you about this game? And then we will have a pod where we make our picks. That'll be two separate pods because we've got to give us all room to explain our theories of how we think this game is going to go. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. We're putting up the most interesting stuff there. We always appreciate you guys making cleveland.com and Buckeye Talk part of your Ohio State fandom for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>